0: Welcome to Talk Commerce, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, Giving Tuesday Bonanza. We'll have great episodes every day this week. Enjoy, and don't forget to collect your free joke. For years, the SaaS market has sought a great solution for B2B, until now. Bundle B2B is a SaaS application that offers enterprise-level B2B functionality to businesses of all types and sizes. It enables store owners to facilitate their B2B operations online and provide their B2B customers with seamless transactions and convenient self-serve account capabilities. Alec Berkeley, the co-founder and director of business development with Bundle B2B, explains how he got started and how his solution will benefit B2B users. With core capabilities that allow users to easily manage front-end and back-end B2B processes, Bundle B2B can be utilized to fit the needs of any growing B2B commerce business and improve their B2B service experience for more store owners and their customers. And now, your free joke. What's the difference between black-eyed peas and chickpeas? Black Eyed Peas can sing a song, chickpeas can only hum a swan. The Talk Commerce Podcast is sponsored by SwiftDotter. E-commerce developers solve problems daily. In fact, some of those seem like mountainous hurdles that must be climbed in a matter of hours. Stress levels can go through the roof. No wonder the plague of burnout affects developers, too. Ah, but there's a vaccine for that. Investing time in your career will take you farther than you ever imagined. Meet Swift Otter. Swift Otter exists to help you become the e-commerce hero that is indispensable and irreplaceable at your company. We do this through Magento Certification study materials and Joseph Maxwell's most recent book, The Art of E-Commerce Debugging. Go to swiftotter.com to learn more about how you can quickly climb the ranks in your quest to be a better developer. While you're there, use the coupon code TalkCommerce for 15% off any digital goods at SwiftDotter.com. My name is Brent Peterson, and I'm your host. Please remember to subscribe wherever you download your podcasts. And now, TALKCOMMERS. All right, welcome to this special B two B edition of Talk Commerce. Today, I have Alec Berkeley with me. He's the co-founder and business development manager, business development superstar for Bundle B two B. It's a B two B B two B app for big commerce. Alec, go ahead and tell me a lot better than what I just said.
1: <laughs> yeah, so we've been working with big commerce for quite some time. We started out as just a uh, ranking technology partner, and just offered our B two B extension for company account hierarchy. And then we just kind of expanded out from there, and now we're like a full mini B two B platform with invoice payment management, quote management, and we're being resold by Big Commerce as their B two B edition. So that just happened in March of this year. We soft launched that and we're we're growing pretty fast and we're working with a lot of big commerce merchants.
0: Great. And what what type of merchant do you think best fits the bundled B2B uh and you call it an app or extension what what do you call this?
1: We are a, a mini B2B platform. So we're we're like a companion product for big commerce, it's like a B2B extension for big commerce, I'd say.
0: Great. And what what type of client do you think is the best fit for this?
1: Yeah. So we find anywhere from pure play B2B to hybrid merchants that do both a combination of B2C and B2B all the way from from SMB. So first time online with some offline revenue and B2B accounts all the way up to, to enterprise. So we, we, we tend to play the best in the higher end of the SMB and the mid-market up until enterprise. And then when you get to the enterprise stage, you could still work with us, but you might require some more customizations and work done by a digital agency partner.
0: And are, are I'm assuming most of the, the features are there, are there particular features that most clients are asking for that, that, um, that are included and, and what are some of those features?
1: Yeah, so all the way from like the approval process of a B2B account, like I'm looking to do business with you? How can I get um, payment terms and better pricing? Um, Or if I submit that in the form of a quote, say, hey, you know, I want a quote for these 12 products, a sales rep can then go and follow up with me and maybe give me a deal for that one time, or then I'm converted into a B2B customer. And then as soon as you cross over that threshold and become a B2B customer, that's when all of our features kind of come into play for reordering and for invoice management and sales reps that are kind of transitioning those accounts into self-service. So I'd say the objective for a lot of our clients is to be more efficient and transition more of their B2B accounts into that self-service model so that they can reduce manual efforts and increase efficiency across their organization.
0: Um, You, uh, I, I, Maybe describe some of the motivations that you had around building this uh, module, and and when did it start, and what what was the impetus to get going?
1: Sure, yeah. So um, my background originally in this this industry was working with Magento Open Source, which in in two thousand fifteen was one of the only options for this particular segment of new to online B two B that was able to get this type of functionality. So funny enough, we, we really haven't progressed a crazy amount in terms of the features and functions that, that people are asking for. We've just been able to decrease the total cost of ownership by 80 to 90% from there. So you know, the vision has never changed. It was to provide a you know self-service, easy to use B2B commerce portal. I think the platform changed to big commerce and then as big commerce progressed, with with some of the things that they were offering from an API perspective, we were able to kind of take it into overdrive and really, really progress pretty quickly. I'd say within the last couple of years, you started to see the majority of our traction with, again, those same merchants that we were helping back in 2015 on Magento open source with B2B extensions. So,
0: yeah, and so you started with Magento one and, and did you make a conscious decision to move to be to big commerce and not move into Magento 2.
1: Yeah. So we started with Magento 1.9 and uh, we saw that, you know, Magento 2 was coming out and we kind of were able to gather that Magento was working on their own B2B functionality and the, the enterprise offering of that and had a couple of options in terms of, as a business, how we wanted to proceed um, and, really putting the customer first rather than our bank accounts and implementation fees. So we we were looking at BigCommerce and Shopify at the time, and it seemed that Shopify was more focused on the direct-to-consumer while BigCommerce uh, was more focused on creating an API-first platform and looking more at the ecosystem to provide direction for for them. And so we kind of, got in there really early and said, look, this is what we're looking to do. This is the types of customers that we've been working with over here. Um, this, you know, this is what we're looking to do with you guys. Um, you know, how can we, how can we get there and started out with custom projects and then eventually worked its way into uh, the brand that we have now as bundle B2B and in, in the technology partner world. Um, and again, now kind of as a part of their enterprise offering. so.
0: Are you seeing that, um, let's call them legacy clients, um, are slowly moving into the B2B online world and this is a good entry point? Are you seeing seasoned B2B companies who either are already on big commerce or they're converting their store from some other platform onto big commerce? What is the sort of trend that you're seeing?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. We we definitely see a lot of legacy, um, a lot of legacy customers that are on a specific ERP or a specific e-commerce shopping cart that uh, has some integration capabilities. I don't want to call out specific ones, um, but you know, shopping carts that are well integrated with different ERPs but don't have the extensibility or front end. Um, sort of management and marketing capabilities that a SaaS platform like BigCommerce or Shopify would have today. Um, So so we see a lot of that. We also just see a lot of companies that never really had the budget or the vision to create an e-commerce site for B2B, and they've just been doing it over email and over the phone and directly keying orders into ERP systems or CRM systems um, and they might have a customer portal that can show invoice data or something like that, but that's about it. And it's just kind of like a mirror into their ERP. It doesn't really have any nice looking user interface to it. Um, So that's a lot of it. We we do get the platform migrations. Those, those are usually tougher for us because they're going to come with, you know, customizations likely on the previous platform. And depending on, where they're at in that progression, the more mature B two B businesses online sometimes are, are trickier for us. We we work really well with the open minded businesses that are tired of the legacy platforms and open to change and simplifying process or changing process a little bit to save a whole lot of money.
0: <laughs> are are you seeing some platforms um, or or some I'm sorry, some clients who are? Um, rigid in their ways, and you're ha- going to ha- you're gonna have to do some modifications to it or, or are there are they are a lot of people open to the way you're set up and how the how your your workflow is going?
1: yeah, I mean I think it depends on who you're speaking with and how large the organization is. I think in the larger organizations, the challenge that we find is in customer service and sales um not wanting to retrain um, their team members with, with yet another system to, to process orders and service the customers. So, um, that, that is usually the toughest part is the, the, adoption of the sales team and, in B2B, the clients are typically owned by sales. It's, you know, it's not like organic Google ranking that brings them, you know, it's, it's the, the hard work of salespeople and, Sometimes even sales folks uh, see the e-commerce site as a, as competition. Uh, once it, their client goes into self-serve, why am I still, how how am I going to be, you know, needed <laughs> at that point, right? So um, we, we do see pushback in that regard. And with the smaller businesses, it's usually just, you know, uh, getting all of their data in order. And they, they know that, I think since the pandemic and when physical kind of, interaction was was limited i think that kind of for a lot of the laggards, that kind of shifted their mind to realizing well we, we really ought to have some online presence but in terms of how we get there um usually the complexity is more in the data and a lot of times that goes back to the it guy that's been with them for 15 years and you know has has to take it on his own or her own to to do the projects so, so with the smaller businesses it's usually the the lone ranger it that, that gets bogged down. The marketers are usually pushing for it. The CEO is usually pushing for it and it's uh, more of a data challenge. And I'd say with the larger organizations, it's more of a people challenge and a training challenge.
0: Uh, from a technology and integration challenge, what, what are the biggest hurdles that uh, that clients would look to get over when they start installing or, or setting up the B2B uh, portion of their business on top of big commerce?
1: source of truth, right? It's, it's always going to be source of truth. So if, if my source of truth is, uh, not big commerce and it's, it's another system, then, you know, what's the minimum amount of data that needs to go back and forth to keep my source of truth, uh, the source of truth, right. And not have two different systems to manage one for, you know, my online customers and one for my offline customers or, you know, you know, phone call, customers that are never going to until there's another generation of purchasing never going to log in to a website to order because i haven't been doing that for the last 25 years why would i start now right so um yeah that the source of truth and then the other part is just the cost right nobody wants to spend extra money um so when the alternative is changing process to spending maybe you know twenty thirty thousand dollars to integrate you know all of this data, um changing the process starts to sound a lot better than than the integration bill um but they do need some minimum integration. I think that's where our service partners really come in and help um navigate that discussion and architect those. Sort of solutions and options for them.
0: Are you seeing um, uh, customers struggle with the idea that they used to key in their orders into the ERP and now they could they should key them into big commerce rather than ERP like just like any other any other end user would come to your website, order that those products go through that that same f- workflow, get to get it into the into the system um to have that i think you had mentioned source of truth so mm-hmm. most of the most of the b2b customers have an erp system that's running that that should be their source of truth at least from a skeleton standpoint for you know maybe their skew the description the quantity and maybe the price and then mm-hmm. the web front end is sort of the way to show it to people publicly and and uh and get the and maybe beautify the product a little bit um you find that uh, a struggle at this time?
1: Yes and no, right? So it's not a struggle showing how much nicer the interface is going to be for them, because nine times out of ten, you know, big commerce is going to offer a better user interface for inputting orders than an ERP system. Uh, but the the complexity again, it just goes back to like things like customer specific pricing. So ERPs are going to be a lot more sophisticated in terms of managing different price overrides and if then you know i might need to do in some cases do a dynamic call for a price to to get the actual um value that's needed for that particular order depending on the volume or something else right so if big commerce isn't aware of that and the erp is then they're going to be well yeah this looks really good but I have no idea, I'm still gonna to have to go and look up the price over here anyway, and then override that. So it, it goes back to the data challenge. I think from a presentation point of view, usually we don't see a lot of pushback. We see, we see good feedback with that, whether it's doing it through our quote functionality and converting the quote into an order, doing it from the front end within a masquerade, or even doing it directly within the big commerce order entry. It's just all right so based off of this customer do we already have the price list in big commerce or is it going to be a challenge you know for me to figure out okay for this particular order this is the pricing that they got last time so i need to honor that you know last invoice price or something to that nature that's where it starts to break down i think is the price calculation in terms of finding the products and creating the order 9 times out of 10 they're going to say yeah this this looks better than my current system, but is, I, I sound like a broken record, is the data accurate, right? So.
0: Right. Yeah. So, you know, you had mentioned some features earlier, what What do you see as uh, popular things that people maybe you don't even think about, but would like to have? And I, I can just say some other platforms would have sort of quick order requisition lists, mm-hmm. um, uh, things like that, that uh, hierarchy of accounts. Uh, mm-hmm. Are most of those features built in and and is there certain differentiators that sets you aside from other other extensions or even other um, platforms out there?
1: Yeah, so we've got all the you know the quote to order, the shopping list or what some would also call requisition list. Um, buy again, which you'll see is a common one in, in you know Amazon to go reorder your your last order products. We roll everything up to the company level, so whether you know it's it's you or me that's uh, placing the order, it's going to be rolled up at, at an account level, so we can see the various SKUs. If if I'm placing the order this week and you're you're placing it next week, um, the masquerading functionality is the more unique one. So we have that out of the box. We we call that a super admin. So that could be a, a sales rep that can act as an admin in a set of accounts, or it could be if I manage say like multiple different retail locations or franchises, I could I could log in on behalf of these different franchise locations. And it kind of creates that sort of um, ultimate view of a set of accounts. So a customer that can belong to multiple customer groups. That, that's a trickier one that doesn't exist out of a box in a lot of platforms. You can try with like segmenting or tagging in different platforms. But yeah, that, that, that masquerading functionality if used correctly, it can can be very valuable because you can quickly, even if you're on the phone with a customer, you can quickly see basically everything in their account. And it works for outside sales reps as well. So, you know, I can just say, hey, Alec, you manage the West Coast accounts. Here's these 25 different customers on your dashboard. But this, you know, you can place orders for them, you can view orders, you can view invoices, but only for them, right? So you're not giving them any sort of proprietary information in the back end or you know orders from customers that i shouldn't be seeing or competitors things like that so i'd say that that's probably if if used which again getting the sales team on there is its own its own uh, battle but if used it can be a very valuable feature for both outside as well as inside reps or people on the buyer side that manage multiple different accounts and oversee you know different different locations for job sites for that matter
0: uh, and the features that you have are they? I am assuming they're customer driven. So you started uh, you started the bundle B two B platform as as sort of custom integration with big commerce, and you found that hey, there is more than one person that wants this. Have you continually added on features as you as people ask for it, and then it eventually goes into the mainstream?
1: Yeah, that's that's pretty much how we've done it, and you know, if any customers are listening to this now, I'm sure that they recall conversations with me over the years, you know, expressing their pains and challenges. And then, you know, however many months later, you know, realized, oh, you know, you guys, you guys did that one. (laughs) So yeah, we, we've pretty much done it based off of customer feedback. Big Commerce, of course, is their product team and their sales engineers have have given strategic business development team. They've given us a lot of insights and feedback as well, in terms of what they're hearing from their their conversations. We try to send out surveys now because it's, it's more difficult with the volume that we have to hear from everybody in a one-on-one setting, but um, that was for sure how it started, was just very detailed conversations with customers that had very real challenges and very real business, you know, n- revenue in big commerce that, you know, needed to be addressed basically and they didn't want to migrate away but they didn't have the features that they needed at the time so it was really it was like am i going to migrate to magento or another platform or can i is big commerce going to be able to offer all of these things and i think we kind of played a large role in elevating the features that a lot of these b2b businesses were asking for to keep them there and then now even taking them from the platforms that they were looking at going to way way back then, right?
0: Uh, you mentioned API, uh, big commerce being API first. Uh, do you have public APIs that people could attach to as well, if if needed? Mm-hmm. And then, do you recommend uh, clients build out microservices when they want to customize things?
1: Yeah, so we've totally adopted the big commerce, you know, open API mindset, and that. with every single one of our features you're going to see the ability to access via apis as well as uh, being able to create custom fields so on a company object you can add additional fields to manage things like tax exemption credit limit uh, minimum order thresholds on an invoice object you can add custom invoice lines cost lines to map with your your invoice objects that you might have in other systems for quotes same thing depending on you know if i have to add a line for Custom packaging or custom engravement or expedited shipping. We we offer flexibility there and server to server APIs and the newer APIs that we're offering are actually to support headless. So it's it's recreating the bundle account features outside of a stencil theme and that's using our storefront APIs. Um, that's a huge push for big commerce, as, as I'm sure you're aware. Is you know the whole concept of headless and you know decoupled systems, whether that's for performance purposes or for you know content management purposes and marketing personalization purposes so um b2b is a little bit behind i'd say in terms of their demands for, for for personalized content i think they're just happy to have all of their data there and again i sound like a broken record with the data thing but um yeah that that's kind of our mindset is you know you likely are not using our system as your source of truth you're using it to present customers the information that they need to see in order to get through the ordering process more efficiently and hopefully without having to call you so we have to be pretty flexible when we're being used in that way <laughs> like nine and times I, out of ten yeah
0: and you're I'm, I'm assuming you're targeting right now just us and canada or what is your target market for this extension
1: yeah, so we've actually made a pretty big push since the B2B edition into EMEA and APAC. So we are offering multi-language. We're, we're available in six different languages. Um, we're actually um, seeing some traction with, with the Spanish now, and I know you guys have good presence there. Um, the, the whole LATAM I think is a newer area for big commerce, but we're, we're starting to see traction. Um, EMEA, we, we are seeing a lot of traction there there's some funky stuff that we're working through. Like I just found out about a law in France where you're not able to change an invoice after it's been sent. So you have to add credit notes. And one of my customers has, has been talking to us about that. So we, we have now Q1 roadmap or credit notes on invoices, cause you can't change it. Um, I, I did not know that that was a law. So, you know, things kind of come up as you start going into those different countries and you know, then your roadmap changes. But yeah, we do we do wanna offer our service globally and to the extent that big commerce is global, you know, we already have, you know, multi-currency. We've had multi-currency for a while, but yeah, the multi-language we're we're trying to prioritize. There's so many languages, so we have to just look at the demand and, and prioritize the language packs from there. And if we're doing the translation or if someone else is doing it and you know, putting it into the files and our system. So.
0: Um so you I'm just coming back to Emea then um do you run into problems with data or is all your data stored in big commerce
1: So a lot of the sensitive data is we we kind of just push it over to big commerce. We do have some information like the company um name but we we're GDPR compliant so we've got you know the the user agreement to be compliant with the the EU there um and You know, we've, we have done what is needed (laughs) to play over there. Um, but yeah, we have had to get, you know, red lines and stuff like that with some of the larger businesses over there with just making sure that, you know, there's no, uh, um, issues with, with how the data is managed, but for us, it's really just company name, email, and then a, a bill to, and a ship to address. We're not dealing with any of the, at least, uh, payment related stuff We're pushing all that through the big commerce system.
0: And are you seeing more um, requests for cross-border things that, that would happen shipped from one country to the next country as a feature request, or is there something in Amea, built in, in that Amea, helps out?
1: In EMEA, yes. It's very rare that you know, once you're in Europe, it's it's very rare that you're only selling one country in Europe. Um, we, we had experience in cross-border from some of the you know china connections that we had back in the day so a lot of merchants that are selling manufacturers or distributors in various regions in china that want to sell into the u.s or other countries so we had kind of that that experience but kind of the within MEA cross border is its own like i said you learn about new laws i think european laws are some of the trickier ones um apac you know, everyone knows that it's very difficult to sell into China, but outside of that, it's it's not too tricky. I mean, you've got the VAT, which comes up, but it's VAT is a hell of a lot more simple than sales tax in the U.S. I mean, that's like one of the most complicated things you could ever try to tackle, which is why everyone just uses third-party services for that. So,
0: And I'm assuming that for a lot of those things, you rely on on the, a third-party service to provide that information like tax or... Shipping and things like that,
1: yeah. So, we, we've in our quote functionality. The, one of the recent releases we did was you just integrated that with the uh with Avalara for the tax and then with Shipper HQ for the shipping rates. So, yeah, those can be populated from third party systems in the quote. And then outside of that, we just rely on big commerce's existing integrations with their shopping cart checkout that they have with, with Avalara and Shipper HQ or other you know, TaxJar jar as well as other shipping rate providers. I will say shipper HQ is a pretty, pretty big stronghold on uh big commerce because they, they have their basic plan and Avalair also has their basic plan baked into their enterprise. So um, both of those companies have a pretty good stronghold. I guess you could say the same with, with us We're baked into an enterprise offering. So it's kind of like the three of us you're going to get when you purchase it. And then if you want to go with someone else in theory, you could, so.
0: Um, I don't know if you know, but Magento is unbundling everything out of their system, and uh, it would present you with an opportunity to attach your features to Magento open source. Have you thought about anything like that?
1: <laughs> we, we've had some requests. You know, we get Magento requests. We get Shopify requests. Um, at, at this time, and for all the big commerce people that may be listening, we're not entertaining any of those requests. So. Um, well it's technically feasible we haven't uh, made any um commitments to those platforms as of yet
0: and just from a technical side are you are you using graphql for your your um your api
1: calls not not at the moment it's um but we we are planning to migrate to graphql for our apis that's on the roadmap <laughs>
0: um so coming back to so, so some of the requests that you get out of, out of OMEA and maybe some of the more urgent requests from a customer standpoint, how quickly mm-hmm. can you turn around some, if there's some urgent thing that, Hey, we either have to shut down our store or we can keep going. Have you, have you do you experience much of that. And then if you do, uh, mm-hmm. how, what's your turnaround time on something like that? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So luckily we're brought in at the beginning. So, um, there's usually a three to four month project timeline that we have to work within. So if we hear requirements that worry us, and that's also hoping that, you know, the project was before making the decision that there was some scoping done where if there was, there were things that were going to be showstoppers, it could have been brought to us earlier, but our release cycle is about three to four week sprints. Um, if I hear something today, it's rare. I can get it into the first one, but I can usually get it into the next one. So we can usually work within from when we hear about the issue within a couple of months, we could get a, we could roll an update in and apply that update to the, to the platform.
0: Um, do you have some kind of a um, a community board that, that you entertain features? I know things like HubSpot has a community section and they've, everybody can vote on some features that they want to get into it. And do you, mm-hmm. do you, ha- do you let c- clients kind of drive some of that?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that that's the direction that we're headed. I think there's a couple of things that, you know, are, you know, we've grown too fast type of problems. One is a knowledge base, right? So all of the things that have been done with custom fields or like the the various use cases that will come up where, man, I really wish I had a solution for that. So it's the knowledge base. And then I think the next, the next thing that, that comes along with that is you provide the knowledge base to the community. And then hopefully the community starts kind of feeding off of that and sharing information. Um, for us, you know, we went at the beginning of this year, I think we had around 65 customers, maybe a little less than that. And, you know, we, you know, not the year's not over yet and we are already pretty much at 200 customers. So we've more than doubled in, in less than a year. So a lot of these things of, oh, wow, we actually have scale um, shifting the mindset to, yeah, I can't have a conversation with, I don't know my customer's dog's name or their wife's name. Right. So that's a little bit foreign to us, right? Um, having been more of like a boutique offering for so long and now having volume largely attributed to the b two b edition, um, trying to kind of shift that's that mindset to more mass communication and feedback. I think there's still some growing pains for us there, but we're getting to it.
0: <laughs> and uh, just for your information, my dog's names are Finn and Sasha. Okay. Oh, and that's Finn funny. is a seven month old. Jack Russell Terrier, (laughs) a complete terror. That's awesome. Um, The um, so the 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 features. um, So I mean, let's just talk about scale and growth. So you've more than doubled. Um, Are you are you keeping up with it? Are you are you experiencing some labor shortages? Tell us a little bit about the this growth and and uh, and how you're keeping up with things.
1: Yeah, I mean for us. The the big part of it, I think, is uh, training the technical people, um, whether they're internal or external. Um, So external being a digital agency, internal being a developer for, you know, company ABC, and I need to customize X, Y, and Z, right? Um, For us, you know, if everyone used the product out of the box, I don't think that there would be an issue, (laughs) but... In, in b2b and in e-commerce overall you know out of the box is a loaded term i think everybody has some uniqueness even if they're selling t-shirts right so um the enablement and the community building and all of that has been the biggest challenge i think so the, the customers all really like what we're offering it's just when they want to start changing it and wondering how they can do that and then Know, all right well if i change this can i still upgrade or is this gonna mess things up um if i you know i think in magento it could be attributed to all right am i changing the the core files or am i you know everyone has you know nightmares about magento upgrades and you know as a software as a service platform you have your own you know database and internal architecture that you don't want to jack up but in some cases if a customer begs enough You'll you'll make an exception. I think we've had to start saying no a lot more as we've grown to say, well, you know, what you're asking for can be done technically, but, you know, do you want to have access to our next six upgrades? <laughs> um, or do you want your upgrade, you know, path to be more challenging? It's not that we're not going to be able to upgrade you, but now once you fork off of this, um, you know, there there might be challenges associated with that. And sometimes they say, you know what, Alec, you know, what you guys are doing is, is so cool. And, you know, I, I love you guys. I don't care if I'm on my own version of your code, I'll maintain it. I'll pay you more. Let's just go and do it. It's still costing me 20% of if I were to do the whole thing custom. Right. So we'll, we'll sometimes say yes to that, but it is a tricky yes. And, you know, coming from the background of being so customer centric and wanting to, help customers, um, saying no to weird stuff, um, is, is probably the, 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 hardest part of, of this stage of the business, I would say that, and then training, training the, the ecosystem to customize just in general on top of the platform.
0: Yeah. I think that's super interesting, especially the idea of sort of forking what your original core code is, and then allowing a customer to sort of have that custom I'm assuming you maintain that still. If if you were to fork it and have this custom code that's running off on a fork, uh, mm-hmm. and you and then you help them to upgrade that, I suppose. Um, but you're completely responsible for it. So it's sort of like a SAS pass version at that yeah, point
1: it's like, it's like turning big commerce into like a, a and like a like a hybrid because we're extending it so far that you know hey i need these three new fields exposed on an api i mean that's not going to require us to fork anything but if the most recent one that came up is um like a distributor management system so like i could have like five sales reps associated with one distributor account when a company applies based off of their zip code or country, I'm gonna assign them to a particular distributor, right? So in order to accomplish that whole bit of logic, you could either create another app for that and integrate it with our APIs, or you could just build an additional tab in our app architecture that has it. Um, so again, we, we try not to do anything too crazy, especially nowadays with the volume, but um, that is it's a challenge to kind of ride that line, knowing that you can essentially extend things further. Just is this, you know, is this gonna make sense to maintain? Like, I don't know.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think it's interesting right now that API first approach and how people, how it seems like it could be less complicated, but I think the only people that is less complicated for is the person who has written the core code because they're just providing the API endpoints. Everybody else has to write some custom code or custom application that, just like you've done with bundled B2B, that runs alongside of it and continues to run with it. And then at some point, you know, I think the challenge is if you are running all these microservices yourself, mm-hmm. you have a whole bunch of stuff to maintain uh, that's theoretically in small little bespoke little pieces that are out there (laughs) running on their own. So it's kind of like running, I don't know, you could be running 20 different microsites that that all have to tie together and talk.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, that's the, that's the price you got to pay to, you know, hang with the big dogs, I guess. You know, big commerce is a much larger organization. You know, they got customers with unique needs. You know, why, why do we exist is we can, (laughs) we can solve for, maybe 70 80 percent of it but then what do you do with that 20 percent? and how does that get addressed you know we we push as much as we can to to digital agencies and we solution with them um but at a certain point yeah you really have to evaluate you know where things are hosted and you know level of complexity trade-off of value um scalability cost of maintenance all the things that you would evaluate building something custom because you're customizing a you know saas platform that allows you to do do so right so yeah it's it's definitely interesting
0: um is it is it a challenge to get um to get big commerce so you mentioned that you keep some of your data in big commerce is it a challenge to add a new feature that you need to custom place to put data or is that fairly straightforward from the big commerce side
1: yeah, I mean, it just depends. I think right now our plan with data centralization is to just do a feed. Well, actually, we've already done this for a couple of customers. This is doing a feed into the Google BigQuery. So BigCommerce has just launched kind of their you know big, big data initiative where you can, instead of just working within their own analytics, you can just export tons of information into Google BigQuery. And it's free and then you know you can have like another tab or view with all of the bundle b2b data uh, but then in terms of how you're referencing that and using it for you know your marketing or personalization purposes it's going to require you know someone that knows what they're doing with database schema but um, rather than trying to create all the redundancy directly in big commerce you know we're just kind of taking a page from their book and say hey we're just going to dump all of our stuff over here you dump all of it over there, and then you just create the relationship models that you need if I wanna get something like top purchase products based off of user, based off of company within a date range. We have the company information and the user, um, but then they've got like the product information and you know the date that it was ordered. We capture some of that too, but you see what I mean. It's like, why why try to write it all onto their system where I can't even control what data fields they have. Um, when we could just all put it somewhere else.
0: <laughs> sure, um, there's a buzzword that's going around right now called composable commerce. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you f- do you feel like you're you're just going along with that whole new idea or, or old idea or however you want to look at it? But I mean, you've really you're now composing this part of it. Somebody else could come in and and offer the content version of it, and then mm-hmm. big commerce could be there with their cart version and. You've suddenly composed a new solution that's part of a bunch of smaller pieces
1: yeah i mean we we've definitely toyed with the idea of creating our own little like mini customer portal like directly into an erp and then say hey you know you want the shopping cart you go tag on to your shopping cart you want the cms you go tag on to that and again that's kind of i think where the industry is headed because so many different SaaS companies out there creating very specific solutions to solve for specific needs. And then you say, at a certain point, we all have our APIs and and then you you get Brent to come in and figure it all out, right? So <laughs> um, I'd say, yeah, you know, we're definitely in that. I hadn't actually really heard that term, but I guess it does make sense um, in the context of what we're doing and where we could go as a company if we we're to start decoupling ourselves further from shopping cart component and just focus on the customer data and the sales reps and the invoices and because we're kind of operating in between like a crm and an e-commerce system right now and an accounting system those three things are kind of operating somewhere in between all of them just leveraging a lot of things with big commerce that we don't want to reinvent or deal with like pci compliance and you know um, product data management and stuff like that
0: um i i'm I'm assuming that from a like a payment standpoint, you're allowing customers to do the specific terms that a B2B customer would need? Uh, Is there any, any extra challenges around that?
1: There's a lot of challenges around payment, but there's also a lot of opportunity around payment. I think, you know, to maybe skip ahead to what the opportunity is in 2022, I think you know once once these businesses have gotten past their data challenges and they're able to present all the invoice data and information to their customers what's the next thing that they're going to start offering which is you know more pay, more efficient efficiency around b2b payments online um you know you've got a lot of tools out there that you know you you'll use maybe to pay your medical bill or your you know it, it it can just go and like connect to your bank and you know plaid and i think some of these other platforms out there are offering that easy bank connectivity type stuff. Um, right now we're just playing within the big commerce checkout. So I think they've got ad yen and blue snap as the two, where you can do the bank payments within their checkout framework. And then everything else is the, the usual players like, you know, Braintree, Stripe authorized.net, PayPal, Amazon, Apple pay. Um, so all that stuff is going to be available within a big commerce checkout. And whether that checkout is a, B two B order or an invoice payment—that's what we're keeping track of. So, what kind of transaction is it, and how do you reconcile it? Um, but in terms of where we could go, you know, I think sky is the limit. Once you hold all that data, um, if you can just say, "All right, well, today it's going through Big Commerce Checkout. Next week it could be going, you know, direct to a gateway. You know, six months from now, you know, I could change it back There's just a lot more flexibility once you have all of your invoice information in sync and your customers being able to have the flexibility to to pay up, to pay off those invoices you know whether it's through the website or it's outside of the website usually businesses they want to not pay for transaction fees so instead of credit card you know they'll they'll usher them toward a, a better option that doesn't charge 2 plus percent um so sometimes maybe that's just mailing a check. Fine, you know, people are still going to mail checks. You know, it's free. All right, I guess close to free. You got your postage there. As long as USPS is still around, right? You no, know, it's not much longer. But
0: uh, yeah. um, so uh, you know, you, we you did mention like what's what's coming out in the future. Um, do you think that you're going to adopt more of the ERP things that are that are maybe some of the back-end things that are coming forward into the front-end? and and Or do you think there's just a mix of that that's going to happen in the future?
1: Yeah, I mean, I definitely think we're going to continue to offer. Right now, the only ERP where we've really gotten our hands dirty is Acumatica. You know, we've created a base framework that communicates between, you know, the Acumatica supported versions for commerce and our APIs. And so that's kind of the first one that we've created, like a reference design, I would say, and gone through the VAR ecosystem and started kind of uh, you know, going through the ringer there. Um, it's been a challenge. But I think that's ultimately the source of where we should continue investing is, you know, with like the ERPs, like Dynamics, NetSuite continue with Acumatica, um, maybe even CRMs, um, because that's currently where a lot of these B2B guys are, are doing their the majority of their business, right? Like 80% of their business is usually done outside of um, any online system if they have one. So if we can go there, make it easier for them to, to get the information, at least that their customers need initially, which is just what's my statement of account how much money do i owe you even if i'm just going to mail you a check anyway um just showing the customer so i don't have to call or you know check my emails to see how much i owe brent this month for my uh you know disposable masks or you know slip resistant you know mats or whatever you know there's all sorts of funny stuff that our customers sell it's all very supply chain industrial you know (laughs) type type stuff Majority of, of which is that. So,
0: uh, so as we you know can kind of wrap up here. What what is the easiest way for somebody to get started? What, what yeah. are the steps? Like you, you have to have Big Commerce, and then then what? Tell us. And is there certain versions of Big Commerce that it's going to work on? Maybe tell us uh, hmm. some of those yeah. steps that that make sense.
1: Yeah. So the enterprise version of Big Commerce is going to give you the price lists, which makes customer specific pricing a lot easier. So if a business already knows that. They need to have price list A for company A, price list B for company B, et cetera. Likely they're gonna to have to go with the enterprise plan unless there's some sort of real-time price integration that's done on top of a pro plan, which isn't recommended, but it's possible. Um, if you have more simple simple pricing um, where you don't have a whole lot of different options for different customers, then you could sign up with a pro plan and install our app from the app store and you know get going. You can still use our invoicing system with the Big Commerce Pro plan, so you don't need Big Commerce Enterprise. To access our invoice portal and start receiving payments and doing the statement of account for for different companies. So you can start small with just a basic customer portal of invoice information, and then as you start to see more traction, you know, roll up the online transactions. Which I think after 400k, year, Big Commerce is going to upgrade you to Enterprise anyway. So. Um, Yeah, that's, that's pretty much how you would get started. You could start a trial of big commerce installer app from the app store and start setting up companies and viewing, you know, viewing the B2B functionality there so I could get it done within probably 30 minutes and create a test company within five. Um, so that's how long it would take you to see what's there. Um, we have projects that are sometimes almost, you know, a year long, depending on the complexity. You know, so yeah, it's it's crazy, really, with SaaS. It's, it could be a couple of weeks, it could be a couple of years. You never really know.
0: And and is it? Uh, I, I am hesitant to ask, but is it too late to get your store up and running before Black Friday? And I suppose if it's B two B, it doesn't really matter, right? Nobody's going to be doing Black Friday B two B. Or are, are you seeing people doing Black Friday B two B Cyber Monday? B2B? Yeah, that's a
1: really good question. We haven't seen it yet. I have a feeling that it'll start at some point. Um, when more of them are are online and whatnot, but yeah, we don't, we don't really see the black Friday craziness in B2B. Um, we see like the, Hey, I have a budget that is going to run out before the end of this year. So if I don't use it, I lose it. So you better get this done and whatnot before the end of the year. Um, again, usually it's not our responsibility. It's, it's whoever's doing the integration and the. The, in the, the customization of the big commerce site. So we kind of sit in a spot where, Hey, how can we help? But we're not responsible, um, which has its pros and cons.
0: Yeah. I think the beauty of SAS is that you can turn on something and have it up and running in a day and start using it or playing with it at least uh, as even as a sandbox. So that's fantastic. Yeah. Um. Yeah, great. So um, is there any sort of nugget that you can give a, a client looking into 2022 on what's the hot topic on B2B right now?
1: Start looking at simplifying your process and understanding how you can get all of your data out of your system into another one. Because if you're hamstrung from that perspective, then it's going to be very difficult to uh, to shift um, and it could put you at a disadvantage versus your competitors who have already found a better way to manage their their customer information and data so that they can provide these portals for the customers that are asking.
0: All right, and and as we final finish up here, I always give people a chance to do a shameless plug, so you can plug anything you'd like today. Um go ahead.
1: Um yeah, I guess if you if you listen to this podcast, I'll give you a 20% off an annual subscription, three months for free. Right. So, yeah, uh, I'll put
0: all this in the show notes.
1: Yeah, um, before the end of the year, 20% off list price on our website if you do an annual subscription, and I'll give you three months for free.
0: So, and I was going to yeah. start a, a store selling masks and non-slip bath mats, so that'll be <laughs> perfect. I'll get 20% off.
1: How how were those the first two things that came to my mind? I have no yeah, idea. Yeah,
0: that's great. I mean, it must be something they're using every day. Or do you use a mask in the shower? Maybe that's what it is. <laughs> that's,
1: a, that's a new one, water-resistant masks. Yeah. Oh,
0: <laughs> All right, uh, Alec Berkeley, the co-founder of Bundle B2B. Uh, thank you for being here.
1: Thanks, Brent. Take care.
0: Thank you again for listening. My name is Brent Peterson, and it has been my pleasure to be your host today. Please rate and subscribe to Talk Commerce. New shows out every week.